Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. Hey, the music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Drew Holcomb. Make sure you grab a copy of his new album, Dragons. Today on the show is one of our favorite friends. I feel so grateful for all the times we've gotten to have Jefferson Bethke and his wife, Alyssa, on the podcast. Today's show is extra special, man. I, this is one of my favorite conversations I've gotten to have with anybody, but particularly with Jeff in a really long time. His new book, To Hell with the Hustle, is just amazing. Listen, are you fascinated that Jeff's book, Emily's book, John Mark Comer's book from last week, Rebecca Lyon's book from a few weeks ago, they're all telling us the same thing, you guys. We should really be listening. They're telling it in four really unique and beautiful ways. But we should be listening. Make sure you go ahead and grab a copy of To Hell with the Hustle while you are listening to this conversation with our good friend, Mr. Jefferson Bethke. Okay, I want to talk about podcasts first. Can we do that? No, so you talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's my favorite part about your show. <laughs> well, literally, that is what happens. Um, one of the things I love about you, Jeff, is is I feel like you're a front runner in a lot of things. And a lot of our friends listening, obviously, they listen to podcasts, but I think a lot of them are also listening to a lot of different ones and are creating their own. And mm. I would love for you to talk about where you see podcasting going in the next three years based on what you're doing that's working and what you and John Mark just did and, and kind of how yeah. you're handling podcasting. Yeah, let's do it. That's it. I'm saying go for it. Oh, we're already, are we already recording? Yes, we're yes, already yes. Sorry, I hit it? record. Sorry, I hit record just a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I thought I said it out loud. I guess I no, did it. Oh, no. Hey, keep that part in. That, that's a normal part of podcast. <laughs> no, here's, so sorry. And, and no, and I can just jump into it because here's the thing. So right when you started saying that, I started thinking, of, yeah, I have someone made fun of me the other day because they were like, you have more podcasts than you have children now. I think I have four yeah. like actively running right now. We got real life podcasts. We got a couple for family teams. And then I got the one with John Mark. Now, a couple of things I'm seeing in three years from now, here's, here's one thing I'll, I'll say. I think there's relative data to show that we haven't peaked yet. And what I, I mean agree. by that is obviously podcasts are booming. Obviously podcasts are crushing, but we still have not plateaued. You know, YouTube has plateaued. Some other platforms have plateaued. But podcasts, I would say the, the peak or the plateau might be in about three years. Mm. So with that being in mind, like get in the game, right? Always right. get in the game while it's going up. Um, there's more ears to be had from people. One thing that we're realizing too that's really helpful, I think, is we've been experimenting, and I've talked to you about with with you about this. We're experimenting with like uh, double capturing on like video and audio. Right. So so like probably not all not all four of our podcasts. I think two or three of them we capture also high quality kind of studio like video content. So the podcast, and that has a couple different things. The podcast itself now then has double kind of output. So now we have a video podcast and an audio podcast, like a YouTube channel, and it's on iTunes. Yeah, that whole thing. Are you seeing that matter on YouTube? That's one of the things yeah. we're starting to do in 2020 is we're going to start doing video as well. That's one of the reasons we got the new studio. But are you yeah. seeing, I mean, are a lot of people watching on YouTube and is it the same people or different people? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that the numbers are like crazy for us, but they're they're just better than nothing. That's how I kind of interpret it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and, and I don't think it's the same people for sure. I don't okay. think the same people that listen to your video podcast uh, listen to your audio. Sometimes it's a little, maybe it's a person who's like, you know, every week they choose their own adventure goosebumps style, you know, they go yeah. video, they go audio. <laughs> um, but, uh, I miss those, I, I miss, <laughs> I miss those books, but what all, yeah. But one thing I'm noticing that it's a, very helpful for video is a couple things. Well, one, the YouTube trends are pointing there. So if you look at like a lot of really prominent, big YouTube creators are almost making the platform a video podcast platform, Philip DeFranco, the H3H3 show, right. Logan Paul even went there. You can go on and on, but there's a lot of people that are getting millions of views. And, and what's funny is the platform's not meant for that, right? Like it's, right. I, I love when platforms kind of morph and, and shape into something. So pod video podcasts are doing really well, especially on YouTube. And one thing that I like about it, which no, I don't think anyone's having this conversation good enough is audio podcasts are really hard to share. Like yeah. it's really hard to like, oh, I love that 30 seconds. Now I want to tell my friends about it. That's really difficult to do, mm. you know? And so what I love about it is that video podcasts are way more shareable. Clips of video is way, it's just more native to social and the ability to share it than like yeah. an audio piece, you know? Right. So when y'all are putting them up, are you clipping them or are you doing the whole show? We do both. So we usually will put up the whole show. Are you show doing all I'll, that work? No, never, never. Okay. Come on. I was like, um, Jeff, I, how are you? <laughs> That's the thing is people don't, and I don't even remember that you have people that help you, but I'm like, how does he get all this done? 
Right, right. And that's and that's why I think some people think it looks like more than it is, but it's like, no, we have people and stuff like that. And now I would say when I first started off, of course I was doing it all myself. I think that's the natural progression of scale and size that you gotta, you know, do it yourself at some level until something's sustainable enough to get a team and kind of that natural progression of anything really. Mm -hmm. But yeah, now now we have someone do it all. And it looks like more than it is, right? So like the John Mark podcast, people are loving that podcast. I loved doing that. That I was love so fun. That show. Yeah. And, and so we, we shot a whole season and when we might do more, but we shot a whole season, which was like, I don't know, 11 or 12 episodes, video and audio in like two days over like, and the blocks were only like two or three hours each day. So really, realistically, it was like five hours of work. I dumped all that to our video guy. He's sending it all back every single week with the full video, the full audio. He's sending us clips for social, et cetera. But realistically, that was just five hours, you know, back right. in July. So I think you, you kind of, you, it's kind of, you know, once you see it, you realize it can be a really sustainable format. Man, that's brilliant that you have a guy like that, that, I mean, hey, audio video guys, we need you as podcasters. Yes. And one thing I'll say too, one more, one more nugget there, because people might immediately be hearing that and go, oh, I want to start a podcast, but I can't afford that. I can't do that. I always, and this, my friend's different. He's been with me for like seven years. Yeah. And so he's awesome and high quality. But what I would say that I always recommend to people is like the, the rain, like video freelance and audio freelance is kind of like the wild, wild west right now. Meaning like there's not really any standard rates or like, like what you know is good, if that makes sense. And so what I always say is like the best person to try to find is go find like a 19 year old yeah. college age, like really good native to computer and tech and final cut, but isn't like have their own company yet where they need to charge a billion dollars. And like, you really can't tell the difference sometimes on that person's quality versus the 30 year old, you know, who has a runs a video studio. Right. And I think that, I mean, that's the thing I like to remind people too, is my first like 10 shows, what some people would call a season. I mean, I literally did everything myself. I yeah. recorded it. I, and I mean, I like a lot. Yes. You and I would talk about, it cause I'd be like, Jeff, that took me six hours to edit that 40 minute mm -hmm. podcast. And the quality is not great, but what I was doing was I was testing to see would would people want to hear this? And once there was a, a bit of a yes. listenership that said to me, yeah. this is something that people want to hear, then I invested money. Yes, yes, yes. And two things. I think I think what you, the first thing is you just nailed it of like, yeah, prove the concept first before just like going for it right away. Um, because that's a lot of stuff I, I see like that. We'll try it. It sucks right away. No one likes it. So I move on. You know, right, like, I think that's totally right. fine. Um, but yeah, so like I think do that. The second thing, um, that I was going to say too, is like, there's something about the owner founder, if you want to call it, I'm thinking more in like business language now, but us, me and you, the people, it's our shows where you kind of doing it the first run or the first year kind of lets you natively understand it all better too, for when you actually start passing it off, if that makes right, sense. And that's, right. that's really beneficial too, like to really be native to your own stuff, to know what you really like. And you've been in the weeds, you've been in the programs, you have edited it so that you can pass it off later. Yeah, I, one of my old bosses, the last boss I ever had, Barrett Ward from um, Abel's, when he, when I was quitting working for him, one of the things he said is, don't hire anyone for a job you don't know how to do. Yes, and preach. And that has played out so true. Now, I don't know how to do every single thing that the people that yeah. help me do, but I at least like when it comes to the podcast, I've done everything that other people are doing yep. for me now. Yeah. But totally. I still listen to every single show before it comes out. Yeah, like I'm still, I'm still the last person to decide what gets, if anything totally. gets edited. I think that's, I think that's the Michael Hyatt rule that I really love where he has this, what's he call it? Like the 10, 80, 10, where it's like, when, once you get a little, once you kind of start to grow and progress, then then a leader should be 10, 80, 10, where the leader does the first 10%, meaning like, here's the vision, here's what we want. Then you have people on your team that help you do the the the, the next 80%, which is basically most of the work. And then you are like the final check. You're the last 10%. And that's a really good flow, I think. Oh, that's a, I haven't heard him say that before. I've got to get him on the show. I've never had him before. This is like yeah, your ninth fire. or 10th episode or something. And I've mm -hmm. never had him before. So you I just keep that. quoting Mike Hyatt to us and we'll just, <laughs> no, I should exactly. call him and get him to come on. I would love that. I mean, 108010 feels like also the right way to run how you volunteer at church and how you do oh. life. It just feels like. 1080-10 is how I parent. I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to equip and empower my actual children to be that 80%. It's like, yeah. I'm going to give you the vision. Cause you know, some, a lot of times we don't, a lot of times we ask something of our kids that we've never even shown how to do. I always laugh at myself or the Lord convicts me when I'm getting upset at my children and I've never even shown them how to do what I'm getting uh, upset at them for. Uh, right. So like, you got to have that 10%. Hey, you know, you get on a knee. Here's how you do this. 
here's what it looks like. I'm going to do it once. I'm going to show you. I'm going to point to the things. I'm going to explain it. And then boom, you take the 80. And then yeah, come let me know to give you a little check at the end and see if I can help you grow anymore or whatever. And I think it's important on all walks of life. That's brilliant. Now, you and Alyssa have like a very tiny baby, though. So that's clearly not for the tiniest. <laughs> yes. But yeah. when does yeah, that we're, start we're, being we're true? We're doing that for our 11th month old. Yeah, our 11th yeah. month old, we're totally saying, here's how it goes. Here's what it looks like. Now you take the very age. independent. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you have three kids. Tell their yeah. ages real quick. Uh, so Kinsley, our oldest daughter is five. Uh, our middle is a son. He, Cannon, he's three. And then, yeah, Lucy's 11 months, our youngest daughter. So with Cannon, I'm sure with Cannon, there's already places that you can 10, 80, 10. Yeah, I would say it starts about three or four where we like, that's where I've started to learn because I, and again, this is me getting super philosophical, but yeah, you just, you look in the West and you look at some of our, our modern ways of parenting and, you know, we so set up our kids to fail by doing everything for them or by not empowering them, mm-hmm. by not equipping them you know, kids grow by stretching them. That literally is true of everything. You have to, working out is like that. You have to work out to break down the muscles for then the muscles to repair themselves. And especially with kids, you're talking about, you know, um, the neuro and the synapses and the firing and all these different things with connections. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, it's exactly like that. So yeah, of course it's like on the tiniest ways, you know, with a three-year-old, it's like, Hey, I'm going to show you how to spray this bottle on the table and how to wipe off the mess. You know, like that's what that's basically, um, but you have to show it to them. Then you have to let them, then you have to walk away and not watch them and let them do it. Uh, and then you have to come back and it's stuff like that. that and of course, you know, a three-year-old, let's be honest, you know, I'm trying to more teach the skill of empowerment rather than actually a clean table. Cause when I come mm-hmm. back, that thing looks worse, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, I think that stuff matters. I'm going to get too spiritual on this too, but it sure feels like the Lord 1080 tends me. Yeah, totally. You know, exactly. Now I feel like, like I was thinking the other day, our pastor talked about how he got arrested when he was 16. And I was thinking back about my 16 year old. Same, same. Yeah. He stole too. Just like you didn't know what happened at Target. I need to meet this guy. I know. Next (laughs) time you're in Nashville, I really want you to meet Pastor Kevin. He's amazing. But when he was talking about that, I was talking, I was thinking about how I, felt so convicted about little things when I was 16 and 17. And I realized it was the Lord building a foundation in me that right now I don't need to see a penny on the ground and take it back into Kroger and hand it over to a cashier like I did at 16. But but (laughs) what that built in me. We were were opposite at 16. We were opposite. Well, hey, listen, good church girls still have a lot of secret stuff going on. So don't worry. (laughs) I just wasn't brave enough to do it in public. But what I was, I was just noticing that when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, the Lord and I talk about such different things than we did when I was 16. He worked, uh, he was yeah. working so hard at the beginning of my relationship with him to teach me how to live that now that 80% is way different than it was 20 years ago. Mm. Does that feel I true for that. you? Yes, yes. And you know what I was while you were talking, you know, I was thinking of well, I, I don't know exactly where it is in the gospels, but that really pointed phrase Jesus uses with the Pharisees where he says, you know, they're, however they're acting or whatever. And then he says, uh, go and learn what this means. I desire mm. mercy, not sacrifice. Yes. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a fascinating phrase from Jesus where he doesn't yeah. just, he doesn't just give the answer. He doesn't just bring a bunch of facts. He doesn't just quote some scripture. A lot of us, that's our answer, right? Mm-hmm, he actually mm-hmm. says, no, no, go and learn what this means. Go flesh this one out because only in the process of play acting this truth. Will you actually learn this truth? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that I think about that in our spiritual lives a lot where people go, Hey, tell me what this means or tell me what this means or what does that mean? And, and there is a reason we have teachers, but also Jesus kind of, there were times just like that where Jesus went, yeah, go think about that. And go learn that. You just, you figure it out, you know? Totally. This morning I was reading, um, I do this app called pray as you go. Do you know that app? No. It's awesome. It's I think you would really like it. It's really short. It's like 10 to 15 minutes a day, but they there's music and then they read you a scripture and then they ask questions and they read you a scripture again and that's it. Oh, I love that. It's great and it's all in different British accents. There's Scottish, there's oh. English, there's Irish, there's Northern Irish. It's yes, great. Lord. Um, but this morning they did the parable of the mustard seed. And then I literally spent 20 minutes googling how long does it take a mustard seed to grow into a tree? Yeah. And and I just thought, oh, I, I don't need a teacher to tell me that. I have Google and I knew the right question yeah. to follow. Totally. You kind of, you, you, you had the momentum or some type of nugget that put you down a trajectory. And I feel like, man, that's so, so important. 
That's the 1080 10. He gave me the yep. 10. I spent yes. my I spent the yes. most of my time in that 80. That's going to change my life, Bethke. I know. And then you bring it back to him for the final 10 just to make sure we're not heretical or do something crazy. Oh, that's exactly what I did. I went back and yeah. I was like, now listen, I've drawn lines like this before, Lord, and I've been yeah. way wrong. So let me just say to you, I mean, that's exactly. literally what I wrote in my journal. I was like, there's a less mature Annie that thought this meant something of a yeah. certain something. Today, exactly. I'm just saying, what if? Yep. Um, okay. Yep. 10, 80, 10. Uh, okay, so let's talk again about you and John Mark's podcast. John Mark and I talked about this a little bit as well, but tell me how what you think about, because you, John Mark, Rebecca Lyons, Emily Lay, there are a bunch of books that are very different, but on the same theme that came out this fall. Totally. <laughs> I mean, it is so many people are telling us to slow down and to pay attention. And your book, To Hell with the Hustle, is exactly that. Why, why is that happening in Christendom right now? I don't know. I think there's uh, what it was really cool to see too, right? Because obviously, as you know, the publishing world, like, you know, to see books like that come out at the same time is to, is then to realize that all of us were secretly working on it for like the two years previous, Yes, which is kind of cool to think about how the Lord works and how the Lord wants to hopefully communicate to his people. Yeah. I mean, all those people you just mentioned, Rebecca, John Mark, good friends, Emily, I don't know, but follow and she's amazing. And me and Alyssa love her. Um, yeah, I, well, we're, I'm just riding on all their coattails, man. I think they all are leading really well in this arena. They've all been talking about this arena, uh, this topic, this concept. And so I'm just kind of coming in under and behind their leadership. Oh, uh, that's not true. Can... That's not true. You've been talking about this for so long too. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm just saying these, I, I, I've very been inspired by them and I love how they've been communicating it. And maybe it's because I have been writing on it. I've noticed their yeah. nuggets of communicating sure. it for the last couple of years. So yeah, so it's been fun. I mean, I think the cool part is like what you said, it's like, they're so similar, but so different, right? Like you read Rebecca's book and then you read my book and those are very, very different. different, Right. Even you and John Marks are really different. Yeah, totally. Totally. Which is really, really fun. And, and I think it's cool because then I think, and I think, I think this was some, wasn't something I was expecting, but one of my favorite parts from the podcast that me and John Mark did and and we're friends is a lot of people kind of noticed that and then immediately thought like they noticed that we had similar books out. And immediately thought like competition or, oh, did, or they like think that's, you know, cannibalizing each other. And then when they saw us do a podcast, they're like, oh, what a cool picture of unity that you guys are actually like joining forces about the topic. And I just thought that was a really fun thing that, you know, people thought it was the opposite. But it's actually like, no, no, let's join forces because I think the Lord is doing something here. And there's a groundswell coming. I think of him renewing his people towards flourishing, towards shalom, towards health, towards yep. goodness and beauty against all of the things that really are killing us, really are noise speed, hustle, hurry, you know, workism, which is what Derek Thompson from the Atlantic calls it as like, we've almost made work a religion at this point. And yeah. all these things combined, I think is uh, really important. Do you think that's around the world? Or do you think that's uniquely American? I'd call it uniquely Western. So ah. I put that into, you know, I put that in yeah, uh, Europe, I put that in America. But yeah, I would say kind of the um, any country, it seems like who's kind of overly modernized. Um, and that actually, you know, th- 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 that falls apart a little bit when you go to like, you know, Japan, especially with the workism, Japan actually has the worst data coming out of there than anywhere else in the world. Like Japan really? people are literally just straight up dying because of their amount of hours they're working wow. because they're not eating because of their marriage. Like, yeah, Japan is actually almost the logical conclusion of this. But again, at some level, Japan is, I wouldn't, maybe not Western is the right word, maybe modernized uh, in the, the most globalized countries, stuff like that. But yeah, certainly that's where I would say the pattern is. One of the things I love to do, and it's part of my personality and part of our life as storytellers, is zoom out of the story and see what's really going on. And to zoom out and see that five years ago, it was like, okay, get in the game, everybody. Let's go. Like, you need to get in this game and you need to not wait around. And it's not someone else's job to do this. You need to go. And then for this year, for everybody, like, you did such a good job. Um, You're killing yourself. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. can we find a balance? Because what you're not saying in To Hell with the Hustle, you're not saying everyone needs to vacation constantly. No. And, and, and honestly, I think the way we vacation in the West is extra commodified, extra dehumanizing. Extra, like, so like, I'm not saying that at all. I think, I think the way we vacation is, is still, I know this sounds weird, but it's still in the spirit of hustle at yes. some level. And Talk about why that is. I think that's really interesting. Because we're we're expecting in the West, we expect vacation to save us. Mm. We expect vacation to, I mean, imagine if any marriage was like that, right? Like no marriage just has like a crappy marriage. You don't communicate. You don't like each other. 
you always argue, you always bicker. And then one week a year you go, okay, we're just going to put all of our money and energy into this. And hopefully it saves us. Mm -hmm. Like you'd Mm -hmm. be like, no, like, no, what probably will save you is if you actually have a pretty good, healthy one hour date night every single week for a year. Yeah. That's Um, right. Where you actually, where you actually love each other. You actually talk to each other. You actually share hearts and connect with each other's hearts. Like, like one hour a week date night is a lot different than the one a week vacation. Now the one a week vacation is I think amazing as a bonus, as like a sabbatical, as an extra, but I think that's just a picture too of like, no, no, we think vacation is going to save us. And what we don't realize is we're still interpreting it in that hustle mentality of like, of we just believe like go crazy and basically put ourselves to the edge and then just like lay on the couch for a week or yeah. go to Mexico for a week. And that's that same, that's all in the same equation of like, no, that's not how God has set up the world to work. There's a design, there's a music playing in the universe that we see from creation, Genesis one and two that you are actually called to dance to in work mm-hmm. and in ref every single day. Like, yeah. there's like, and that's things like Sabbath and work and how to let those dance together, how to actually uh, have a day of like, to me, a day of rest is a day of filling, not a day of do nothing. And those are right. two very different things. Right. And so I think, yeah, the way we vacation, the way we work, all these things are kind of implicating the same problem. In a dream world where there was no, I don't even want to say no sin. I, I, cause I need it to be 2019 and you're, and everything is working out just right for you. Mm-hmm. And and there's no pushback. No one else messes with your calendar. Tell me what a healthy year looks like if we're living under under Shalom and under Sabbath and, yeah. and under God's... That, I mean, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I think you put it like that in the book, the, the music in the background. What is a healthy system, a healthy year look like? Yeah. One thing that I'm trying to, I don't, I don't know, but one, but I'll talk about how I'm trying to process it. One thing that I'm trying to process right now and that I talk about the book is that rhythm, that music, that dance. And there's, there's three different pockets. There's the week, there's the daily, there's the weekly, and there's the yearly, or you could also say like seasonally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think living in all of those, those all have their, their own, um, not spirits. That's a weird word. They all have their own kind of DNA. There's a, there's a daily rhythm that living into it brings joy and blessing. Living outside of it doesn't. Same with weekly, same with yearly. Mm. And the one that I'm really leaning into is right now and kind of trying to process is that seasonally one. Meaning like, I think a lot of times in the West, we actually try to erase seasons. Like we actually, I mean, think about that with food. Do you realize how weird it is that you can get a tomato every day of the year? Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. really weird. That's strange, right? super weird. Yeah. It's like, that's not, that's not literally what the earth is giving us and telling us, but because of chemicals, because of the industrial revolution, because of capitalism, because of basically just America, America, um, you know, we can get a tomato anytime we want and that's fine. But what that starts to do times a thousand different things, a thousand different industries is we start to delete seasons. And I'm trying to almost, this is a weird way to put it, but one thing I'm trying, we're trying to process me and Alyssa is what would the opposite look like? Like not, not like not even just living in seasons, but we're trying to, we're trying to put like names on our seasons and like double down on them. Like, no, this is a season of rest. Okay. No, this is a season of like sprinting because that's another thing too. It's okay to sprint. It's okay to hustle. But what we, where we get wrong is we hustle for hustle's sake. We hustle for an identity. We hustle till we die. Right. No, no, no. Like it's okay to, like, it's okay to sprint in the marathon. Like when you're running a marathon, maybe on mile 24, you got to give a little extra gas. Right. That's fine. But you need to know, you need to know life's a marathon. Cause if you think that, if you think life altogether is a sprint, you will die. You'll pass out and you won't make it. Right. And so we're trying to ask ourselves, like, what does that look like? Like, what does it look like to have a season of sprinting? What does it look like to have a season of rest? Another way to put it is like, well, you know, what does it look like to have a season of harvesting um, with our work, with our life? So we've tried to do that. Like we'll, we'll lay out the calendar. We'll look at our year. And we'll almost try to put like names and adjectives on our seasons wow. and like claim them and say like, do you yes, do like that three is months season. or is it just like, okay, well, a book's coming out. So we know those six weeks are going to be this. Like you aren't yeah, like, I think it, okay. I, I think it totally flexes where there's no, yeah. there's no, um, you know, an easy one if people are getting stuck on it is yeah. Like the four season. So usually that's about a three month season. Um, sometimes it's six month season. I think with kids, that's what that's a season we'll put on the kids sometimes too, or like our family is like this is a season of like training. This is a season of learning this. This is a season of enjoyment. This is a season of us delighting in each other, you know. Yeah. But I think putting putting names on seasons really transforms how you actually then go about your day. Yeah. And and I think it's just really important. So to me, that seems like something, especially now that 2020 is coming up on us pretty surprisingly quickly. It feel everybody's December gets busy with parties, but uh, but what I've seen is slows down with work. 
Like work mm. kind of yeah. takes a little bit of a because you send an email, but they're out for the two weeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, so to me, it seems like what if we all sat down with our calendars in 2020 professionally, personally, and just kind of went, okay, it looks like I'm going to be running hard at work for these couple of weeks, or our, I know our family's got this going on for this couple of weeks, and and just yep. kind of giving your now. What happens if it changes? What happens if you get pregnant, or what happens if you yeah. then lose I think a you job? Just flex or, and the spirit, the spirit's big enough and awesome enough where like. That's, that's the thing too, is like this, this line I've been trying to think on that's been helping me is like so many of us want spiritual perfection when God wants to give us spiritual formation. Those are two different things. You know what I mean? Like, and so we get, you know, that you're trying to chase perfection. If you get crazy, antsy, anxious, and weird when anything cracks or moves anything, when, if it's about formation, well, then it doesn't matter. You receive it with open hands and you think you're thankful to God because that, that change is going to form you. Yeah. That difference is going to form you. Like formation is more about the process. Perfection is more about the result. And we get so, and you can, you kind of like, we reveal ourselves when we realize that small little changes kind of make us frantic when it's like, no, this is, this is the act of formation that Mm. this, I I can learn something in this. I can be something in this. And that, that really matters. Somebody better quote that on Twitter. Will you say one more time that we, (laughs) we are. Yeah. I think we we care more about spiritual perfection than spiritual formation. And those are two different things. That's it. That's it. That is, that's huge for me as an Annie too, because I am the oldest child who would take the quarter back to the, you know, cash register (laughs) at Kroger and think if I, if anything goes wrong or if I make a mistake, I have derailed this entire thing. Yeah. Totally. But instead, formation is different. That's not helpful. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's hard to do this over audio podcasts, but one, one imagery that I've kind of, that's been helpful to our family and that I, I don't think I talked about in the book, but I've been talking about it in like a keynote I've been giving lately is there's kind of three different, there's three different ways to look at time, right? There's two wrong ones. And I think one biblical and a lot of us, so the Eastern view of time is kind of just like a circle, right? That's where you get reincarnation. It's meaningless. It doesn't go anywhere. It just goes in around and around right. and around and around. You're just kind of a cog in a machine. Um, and it just kind of chews you up and spits you out and it's meaningless. Right. And so it leads to kind of this passive existing. There's no, there's no identity. There's no purpose. It's meaningless. Western time is just a straight line arrow that's going, mm-hmm. you know, to the right or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that, and it's kind of just like, and we feel that, right. That's more of the one we live in. It's just, a, it's just this rocket ship line completely straight. There's a beginning, a middle and an end. And you just go, 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 go until you die basically. And that one leads to endless doing. There's no breaks. There's no rhythm. There's no stop. But I think the biblical model of time is almost like a spiral, but a spiral going sideways, meaning like okay. they're kind of like the arrow, like you're going towards the future. God has something for you, but but it's a spiral, meaning you're going forward, then coming back, going forward, coming yeah. back, going forward, coming back. And that's the process of formation that you're actually saying, no, 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 the life is not like, because that's very fundamentally different than the Western view of time, right? Yes. It's not fundamentally about just a chronological, like every single day, every second of the day is going forward but it's actually about stewarding a season or a cadence of rhythms that you come back to over and over and over and over again that form you into the image of Jesus over 50 years. And that's a different thing. Yes. And there is nothing wrong with feeling that experience. And I would relate this to hustling as well, where you suddenly go, oh man, I've I'm getting too much out of work. I'm working too hard at work because I'm getting too much out of work. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I've got yeah. too much idea. I mean, I've had times where I went like, that's good. oh, you need to... You, you have to Sabbath this week, even though you don't want to, because oh, your yeah. identity is wrapped up in getting a lot of things done. Oh, totally. I think I think Sabbath sometimes is straight up Psalm 23. You know, he makes you lie down in green pastures. He's just like, like lay down right now. Right. And you're going to stop. And I think that, that's, that totally is that. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation with Jeff to tell you about some companies who are making today's show possible. I told y'all this a couple weeks ago, but I have had the best experience with Kettlebell Kitchen with their meals that deliver straight to your door. They are so delicious and always waiting for me. If I will have food in my fridge, it makes me go out and eat way less. And this is so healthy. I've absolutely loved it. Nutrition's on everyone's minds. What, when, and how much to eat. It's a mess of conflicting information that can confuse anyone and derail your fitness journey. And there are so many diets and meal plans out there, ooh, but chances are they don't take your specific needs into account. And Kettlebell Kitchen knows that meal planning isn't one size fits all, which is why they offer a personalized solution. I love that Kettlebell Kitchen was founded by two Army veterans who are also brothers and a chef who's on a mission to help people change their lives through food. Their goal is to help you achieve yours with meal plans that are tailored to your needs. 
The team of nutritionists will help you create a sustainable health plan that honors your body's unique needs. I have absolutely loved the pesto eggs with turkey and zucchini. And I also love the shiitake sesame chicken with broccoli and bacon. So good, you guys. And you can sign up for a plan or order a la carte. So there's no long-term contracts required. And they deliver to your door twice a week for optimal freshness. You don't need to worry about sourcing ingredients or fretting over macros. Just heat, serve, and get the food you need for real sustainable change and good fuel for your body, especially if you're busy and aren't sure when you're going to have time to cook. These are great to have in your fridge. So feed the champion in you with Kettlebell Kitchen. And they have a special offer for you guys. So go to kettlebellkitchen.com and enter the code that sounds fun for $25 off each of your first two orders for new customers. That's $25 off of your first two orders at kettlebellkitchen.com with the code that sounds fun. As Thanksgiving approaches, I'm reminded of just how important it is to have a routine of gratitude, to meditate on God's provision and kindness for me in the past year. And it's simply amazing how often His provision comes through the faithfulness of others. Healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries is something I do to prepare for unexpected medical bills and also to take part in God's provision for other people. It's such a cool process and it works. Here's how. Each month, I get a notification telling me who to send my money to and how I can be praying for them. I send my monthly amount to that person to help them pay that medical bill. And I can even send a little note to encourage them that they aren't alone in this. And then if I'm ever in that situation, other Samaritan members will do the same for me. It's based off of the lifestyle of the early church detailed in Acts 2. And I'm telling you, friends, the process works and it's affordable. The amount of money you send each month ranges from $100 to $555, depending on your age, your household size, and the membership option you choose. You can calculate what the cost would look like for your situation on their website, which I think is really helpful. So just go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash that sounds fun. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash that sounds fun. And now back to the show. Will you talk to me about what, because a lot of people, when we talk about Sabbath, when I mention it, I usually, my Sabbath day is usually Wednesdays. Yeah. And people have a ton of questions about it, particularly people with young kids like y'all. How do y'all shape Sabbath yeah. into your, and I quote you all the time, by the way, Jeff, when you say, <laughs> uh, if, if you have a bad Christmas, it doesn't mean you quit Christmas. Totally. It means you try yeah. again next year. I'm always like, you guys don't quit just because this yes. one was hard or bad or yes. it didn't go just right. Well, you know what? That's a perfect segue then to even how we've tried to process it with kids that I'll talk about. I think that's a perfect example, the Christmas example. So where I go even deeper into that is because yeah, with kids, you, you know, and again, back to the perfection thing and formation thing, like so many of us, especially with young kids, we get this vision of what we want it to be. We want it to be this, this huge table meal, three hours long and delightful and amazing and beautiful and all these different things. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, the three-year-olds like, you know, you know, getting potty trained and actually maybe going on the floor, someone's throwing food, the dinner uh -huh. takes five minutes, everyone's yelling, you're, whatever. So it doesn't line up to the vision of perfection, but it doesn't matter because Sabbath is about formation. So like those, yeah. that, that day is what it is. Receive it as a sacred and holy moment and form your family into the image of Jesus by putting and integrating into them that you actually believe in a work rest rhythm. So it doesn't matter if that day is messy, but you want to get better incrementally over time. And the Christmas example is perfect because I remember that literal actual Christmas, this happened one time. The first, like we've gotten better and better with Christmas with our kids. And this is what, it, and this is what I mean. The very first year we had uh, kids, so Kinsley, I think she was like one or two years old. Yeah. And I remember our first Christmas where she could like remember it, meaning like where it was actually a moment, you know, kind of that whole like wake up and the presents and all that stuff. So I think she was maybe like two. I remember it was like the worst Christmas ever. I remember, I, I still like remember this vision of like she, we, 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 we want you know, we had this vision of like, this is where the Christmas, the, the tree is and the presents and let's like open it and it'll be all iconic and amazing is our first kid. And we had all this idealism. You probably had like your camera set up on a tripod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she had, and then, and, and then, you know, and there's like 47 presents under that tree because, <laughs> you know, grandparents and friends and everyone just, you know, and so she starts opening her presents and just like anyone, especially a two-year-old, two presents in, she starts bawling. Yeah. Why? Because she's just completely overwhelmed. Like, oh my goodness, like right. go to the next one, open the next one, do this. Like, like it's just, it was, it wasn't fun. Right. The joy was sucked out of it. Now we totally learned from that to the point where now our Christmases are very different because I want to shape a day of intention. I want to mm. shape a day of what is the point of this? What's the, what am I trying to actually extract from here? So now we have actually really, really hard rules with like grandparents and friends where it's like no presents, or we give them like three categories 
Um, and it's usually things of usefulness, not just random toys. Cause I, yeah. I can get into a whole philosophy of toys of yeah. that really wasn't a thing before 1950. Like literally toys are an invented thing, but moving on. And so that, so, so like less toys. And then what we do is however many toys we get, which now it's like maybe com- grandparents combined friends, et cetera. We're maybe talking like five things under the tree. Cause we only get the kids one gift. That's our thing. That might sound stingy, but we try to no. make it more intentional and that's great. special and something that will last longer. And so it's usually a little nicer, like a bicycle or something like that. So we get one gift. So there's probably like five or six gifts under the tree now. So then if there's six gifts, then what we do is we back up present opening six days back. So it's one gift ah, per day. Okay. So like, so oh, if we have six smart. gifts, then December 19th, they get it, they get to open one gift. And what's cool about that is it becomes less about the commodified, you know, uh, ridiculous consumerism of Christmas. And now they open that one gift for that one day. They're extra thankful. They extra lean into that gift. It's super special and it actually means something. And then the same thing the next day, same thing the next day. So what I'm saying with that is like, we've five years in, that's a very different Christmas now, right? And yeah. now it's almost a Christmas season because we've kind of learned how to do that, blah, blah, blah. So I think that's almost the real, that's almost the real life metaphor for the Sabbath. Like it's like, you know, we have a couple of crappy Sabbaths and then we want to cancel it when it's like, no, it takes, it took us five years to get to this place of us now loving how our Christmas go, like where the, the ideal and the spirit of what we want in Christmas is now there, but that took five years. Yes. So like, I think that's that same thing with Sabbath, man. Like it is a practice of spiritual formation that'll take years, but that's the fun of it to me. Like that actually makes it to me, that takes off pressure and it actually is a lot of fun because yeah. now, and how cool is Sabbath that you don't just get one practice a year, year you get 52 practices a year. Right. You know what I mean? That's right. So like keep, keep practicing, 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 trying to find your ideal day of rest for your family or as a college student or as a young professional. And that stuff really, really matters. Can you give like two or three things y'all do every Sabbath? Like what are some practical things that, totally. that are involved in your day? So I'll do the, I'll talk about the dinner for a second. And then I'll talk about the Saturday activity, the way we kind of, the buckets we kind of put it in. Is it always Saturday? Yeah. We always do Friday night to Saturday. I mean, if there's some random exception or something, if I'm traveling and we still want to do that. Yeah. You know, and it's changed over the years. It used to be Mondays. uh, Now it's Friday. So, but yeah, so we, so we, we, what we want to do is we, the reason we like starting Friday night and I, again, there's no, you know, right way you can do whatever you want, but starting with a nighttime dinner, I think is really fun. There's something, and there's something about why that's important in the Jewish tradition rather than like, you know, starting in the morning. I do the it's like thing. night. Yeah, nighttime's just set up for like a really beautiful, like kind of kickoff party. It's just like dinner time. You can feast, you can like whatever, you know, all that stuff. So dinner, especially with kids, we try to make that dinner just like as fun as possible, but not like crazy, but like we just, we want it to be like the best food, whatever they love. We have candles that they light and those candles represent cease and celebrate. So one kid lights one, the other kid lights the other. Mm-hmm. Once Lucy, who's our youngest, gets a little older, I don't know how we'll rotate that. We'll figure that out. <laughs> um, but um, but the kids love it. So I say, and I just ask a bunch of questions. Like that's, by the way, anytime you want to be a parent and you don't know how to like lead your kids into spiritual formation, just ask a bunch of questions. Yep. I just say, hey, what does this candle mean? You know, they yell cease. And because you have to teach them, they're that 10, 80, 10 again, right? right. Um, then what does this candle mean? Oh, that kid, that candle means celebrate, right? So then we, they, they went, what does that mean? Why do we do that? You know, sometimes I'll turn off the light, you know, and like kind of sit and then turn that back on and Jesus is light. I just do random little stuff to make it fun. Then we have these little shakers that, we, that Alyssa made where it's literally plastic water bottles that she put popcorn seeds in. Yeah. So it's like super easy. It was free. It was like something we were going to throw away. Right. And then what they, and then what they do is they like run around the table, just like yelling, like it's Shabbat, it's Shabbat. They just like, it's party time. <laughs> oh, and they yell that's around, so right? cute. Because, because I want it to be just like this absolute party and they just yep. start yelling and shaking and like, it's not extra formal. In fact, it's the opposite. So like, yes, our kids are standing up and smacking their booty and dancing and twerking and all like, yep. it's, to me, I'm like, that's, that's what I, that's, that's what this meal is. Yeah. Yeah. to me. I want this to be hilarious and awesome and fun. And I want it to be a delight for them. So we kind of do that. Uh, Kinsley, our oldest now, and it's really fun now that she's five, she's completely in charge of like setting the tone in the table. So yeah, so like at 430, we just say, hey, Kinsley, it's, you know, set the table for Shabbat. And then yeah, she gets out the tablecloth, she gets out the nice stuff, she gets out the napkin, she gets out the candles, like she does it all herself. Um, and that's a really fun, like a moment of empowerment again, yeah. where she like gets the the table set. But yeah, all that to say the fa- like start, like it's a feasty, party-like, fun dinner. And usually we're eating the best food that week. And we're certainly having kind of some level of dessert that night that we don't usually have. And then usually we'll have Alyssa's parents over. My parents live in Washington, so they live too far away, but I wish they could come. And then uh, her parents live just down the street. So they'll come over for our Sabbath now. 
and we just have them tell stories. We just have the kids think of like oh, prompt wow. work, right? Like, um, it's kind of like, it's almost like show and tell story night, seat of honor for the grandparent night, right? Yeah. Because we want our kids to know our story and our last name and the legacy and all that. Um, and then when we travel, like I said, I try to do that with my family, but, uh, yeah. So like, you know, and so what I'll do is the way it started, I would tell Susie, Alyssa's mom, I'd say, Hey, like, just bring a prop, like anything, you know, that just kind of reminds you of some story of like your, that like the kids wouldn't know back in the day. So one time it was like, she brought her cheerleading patch and she just talked about, you know, high being on the high school cheerleading team and memories from that. Then one year she brought, I mean, one year, one week she bought the, brought like her wedding topper of like a cake topper oh of like the little dolls. Yeah. And she just talked about like their wedding day and how special it was and memories from that. Then one time she, uh, this wasn't during Sabbath, but she just like during the week dumped off a whole bucket and box of like old family pictures. So then for a while, what we would do on Sabbath is we would pull one or two pictures out of there and kind of like turn it around. And like, then they have to tell, and I put them on the spot and say like, okay, tell a story about this picture. What's it remind you of? Who is that person? You know, what, how old were you? And then now the kids like Kinsley really loves this. Now I let Kinsley kind of think of like uh, buzzwords or like prompt words and it can be anything. Um, but I do know that when you give like grandparents direction like that, they can usually go off. Like if you put yeah. them on the spot to think of something, they can't. Yeah. But if you can, if you can put them in the direction, shoot, I don't know one grandparent that doesn't just doesn't want to go for two hours, right? That's right. So now Kinsley, Kinsley will just say like bicycle, and then all of a sudden, like Ken and Susie, they have to think of like you know any memory when they were riding a bike. Like was it when they got their bike when they were a kid? Did they ride the bike to the store one time that stands out? Yeah. The other day it was like summer. So Kinsley said summer. So then Ken told some story about how he'd go to the pool this this neighborhood pool every summer and what that meant and just like it's just storytelling right it's just putting people on seats of honor it's it's extracting stories and then what that does over time is that meal now is really fun and really special yeah. like we really look forward to it it's party like it's delightful uh the, you know sometimes the kids are still throwing tantrums and doing their sure. things but again it's about formation not perfection and what's happening with your tv and your phone and i mean are you have music playing yeah, we'll play music during Sabbath. Yeah. yeah, it was like a fun kind of like, you know, we'll do like we we have like a little dance party after. So I turn on some like fun dance music. Usually it's like Bruno Mars uh, right now after the, the meal before meal. We'll put some on for like setting the mood. But yeah, my phone gets turned off uh, usually around four o'clock on Friday. Um, and I just totally am offline disconnected. And that's a huge part of my Sabbath. Yeah. for my heart and my yeah. own identity with the Lord. Um, yes. And sometimes and then yeah, so we don't watch shows or anything like that either. But we end Sabbath with a movie night. So it's so a Saturday night. Oh, okay. We we actually do a dinner at the coffee table and it's fun, kind of like charcuterie, like kind of pig, you know, dinner with your hands at the table. That's Everyone so cuddle fun. up and we watch a family movie. Because you have to have these markers that kind of start and end moments. Like we don't do that in the West. We don't mark moments. We don't kind of name moments, right? And I think right. that's one anyone can do this, but that's family or not. But I would suggest families like name your moments. Like what is Tuesday night in the Johnson house? make it something, yeah. claim it, yeah. put a marker on it. Right. And then, because that's how you actually start forming identities. Yeah. So that's how we do it. And then Saturday is basically, we just usually try to get outside because any family, I'm sure this is true for most families. When we get outside, the amount of fighting that the kids do is like <laughs> 90% Without less. walls, it goes down it. significantly. Yeah. It's weird, but you just go to a park and then they just are happy and running around. They don't, you know, but yeah, when you, when you're in the house, they do. So for us, because me and Melissa want to try to craft a day of rest for our actual souls too. We say, okay, what's the, where can we take the kids and what can we do with the kids that mm -hmm. feels like we're not just having to micromanage them and breaking up fights every two seconds. Right. right? right. Um, and for us, that's getting outside. And so we purposely do that so that it, it feels the most restful to us compared to staying indoors, you know, most of the week. Yeah, that's brilliant. I just love giving it because my my Sabbath is so different because it's just me. Totally. So I can talk about that for nine hours, but I love having families on and saying like, yeah, we have really small people and we still take a day without technology where yes. everything slows down, where we spend time together. Like there is a way. And something John Mark has talked about before is there are times where he and his wife will switch off having like an hour where they can go read and go like, yeah. Have their oh yeah. Time. So thanks for reminding me. We totally do that. And that's what I recommend with toddlers. We totally do that. We usually either alternate it. Like I'll get one week, Alyssa will get the next week. Or if it's smaller moments, we'll both do it in the same week. But yeah, totally recommend that. It's like, because then again, as a parent, you want to, you want to look forward to this day, not think that this day at some level is like restful, but more work. You know what I mean? Right, right. And, and one way to, and one way to do that is like, if you're getting your best break that day. And so, yeah, so me and Alyssa totally do the kind of 
you know, WWF tap in, tap out style. style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm super anti unloading the dishwasher, going to the grocery store, yes. doing the laundry. laundry. Like I don't do any yep. of that on my, yep. on my Sabbath. And, and here's the thing, like there's something about that that's more holy and sacred than we think. Like mm. we, like there's a part of that on the surface that is just restful. That is just restful, right? That like, man, I'm not doing those things. It feels good. But there's an extra layer there of like, like we don't realize how much of our behaviors through the day commodify our soul. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like I am not just this machine. I'm not a machine. I'm not this thing that just does all these things over and over and over and over again. I'm the beloved of God. And I think sometimes ceasing from all that stuff really, 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 you know, it's helpful to that. And I think everyone has to find out their, their own version of that. It's yeah. not like religious or a law, That's right. but like Andy Crouch, he's one of my favorite, you know, I think I read somewhere that, you know, cause they honor Sabbath. I think I read somewhere that his rule on Sabbath is they can't buy anything. They can't yeah. spend a dollar yep. because his thing is like, he believes that money so kind of commodifies people into transactional moments that Sabbath is that day. And I, I think he can make the good point coming from Exodus, you know, uh, you know, coming out of Egypt and, you know, you're no longer brick makers, you're children of God. That He's like, I'm not going to spend anything to kind of commodify people. Now, again, that's a suggestion, but I love how they flesh that out. Yeah, I actually do that too. I don't shop I for anything that. on Sabbath. Uh, partly because when I was listening to Bridgetown series on it that we'll link to from January of 19, one of the things they talk about is how the earth was always meant to produce for six days. Yes. And when we're asking it to produce seven days, we're, this is dramatic, but this is what they said. We're, we're part of slavery. We're just part totally. of putting people in, because if I need something seven days, someone has to work seven days. Yes, yes, and exactly. And so I know I'm exactly. just one Annie, but I do try to not buy anything. Yeah, yeah, I try to not buy anything that one day. No groceries. I mean, the only thing that would be different is if I go to coffee with someone. Yeah. Um, but totally. other than that, I try I try to do. And the other thing, and y'all probably have to think about this too, is if I'm trying to walk away from hustle like you teach, and if I'm trying to be intentional about resting, that mean, that means on Tuesday before my Sabbath on Wednesday, I have to be really intentional about, yes. do I have what I need tomorrow? Do I, do I, I need to get the work done Tuesday night that I'm going to need Thursday morning. Yeah. You don't just fall into Sabbath. You literally have to craft it, create it, and pra- and it's a spiritual practice. So, I mean, it takes yeah. like a decade at some level too. And yeah, yes. you prepare for it. Yes, I have to. I have to think about it a lot. Tell me what's been most fun about writing a book about this part of your life. That's a good question. I think a couple of things. I think one, it's really fun to write a book that out of any of the books I've written, I mean, you want every single book to really be like embedded in your soul and be a message that you believe and have lived. But for some reason, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. This one more than the other ones does feel just like at the core of me, just Uh like, this is, this is like what I care about so deeply, what has radically transformed our life and our family, my life, our marriage over five, six years. So there's something about finally getting it out on a large scale in a cohesive way that everyone's kind of just been picking up in breadcrumbs crumbs way that we've put out, you know, that I just think is really special to kind of see people. And I don't know, man, it's cool. Like, yeah, this one just seems to I don't know. I really like it. It's really fun. It's the irony of writing a book like this is now I have to be like extra careful of you know, like, right. you know, you know, <laughs> like everybody's watching sure now. That. You wrote a book called <laughs> to hell with the hustle. You weren't exactly. even kidding. Exactly. And that's like, you, you know, like that it's like with every single book, right? Like every single book, whatever you title it, whatever it's about, then basically you're going to get the jokes on like the puns of that title or the, the extra eyes on that title for the rest of your life now, oh, sure. but it's fun. And yeah, I just, I've really enjoyed it. I will tell you this. You know that I think your book, It's Not What You Think, is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I mean, it it was so transformational for me. But I think To Hell With The Hustle is right up there with it. I mean, you your books are really some of my very, very favorites. So I'm so thankful that you do this work. Thank you. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because those are my two favorites. So you you like the same books that I like that I've written. So okay, I great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I told you, I remember texting you from the airplane yes. when I was reading It's yeah. Not What You Think and being like, Bethke, you're blowing my mind with this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I appreciate that. And it is funny, like, because the only other one I've written, because Love That Last obviously is amazing. That was co-authored though with Alyssa. But yeah, Jesus Greater's Religion was the other one, um, the only other one I've written individually. And it is funny, man. And I talk about that in the book too. It's funny how... Yeah the Lord works, you know, that like the, my most, my most popular book by far is, is almost the one I like the least. I know it's a weird way to put it, but you gotta, as an author, you gotta navigate through that, you know, of like, yeah, but like, it's not what you think and to hell with the hustle or so much more of like, yes, this is, this is what I care about, what I wanted to write about and where I'm at. So then the real secret that you can say, Annie, I'm not going to answer that is 
If you've been working on To Hell with the Hustle for the last two years, my guess is the next one is brewing. Is there something brewing? Yeah, I signed the contract this week. Look at that. Yeah, let's go. Congratulations. Thank you. I signed it in the back of a car on the way to a Brazilian steakhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it different? The longer you do it, (laughs) you're like, oh, I got to get this done today. Yes, exactly. It was so special. Such an honor. But yeah, Yeah. it it was more about like, hey, these got to get mailed in. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) When when my first one, my first contract I signed, you know, you you might as well have practically thought I was like a college recruit. You know, I was going to sit down at the table. I was going to put on the Thomas (laughs) Nelson hat. I was going to put on the Thomas (laughs) Nelson. I choose Thomas Nelson, you know, That's the, right. the yeah, no. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I don't have anything more besides like a couple sentences, but it looks like this next book will be somewhere in the vein of like a family teams manifesto. So for people yeah. who are listening, who don't know what that is. Family teams is like an entire initiative and brand where almost everything I'm talking about on this podcast. Um, but in a more like family centric place, resources, concepts, this, this whole sentence we always say is that the Western view of family is a failed experiment at some level. And that we believe family is nothing more than a springboard for the individual success of each person, but that God believes more in a family being a multi-generational family team on mission. Those are competing ideas, two different ideas. So we have a whole initiative, you know, whole brand there, you know that, but uh, that's the book will be somewhere in there. I don't know what, but almost like a manifesto of something in that pocket. I love all of that. And I think you're right that even as a single person who grew up in a family and hopes to create a family, I think family systems and being a part of family. It's why I talk about my mini BFFs all the time, because there are still ways for me to be a part of family systems and to learn yes. and be shaped by that yes. and to serve, even if I don't have their last name. Totally. Well, and here's, and here's the thing that I say too, that we say at Family Teams, which is why I actually love, because I feel like we give space that other family ministries don't. Two things. One, what you just said is the, the principles and the values actually play well wherever you're at in any community fashion. And at some level, right, we see that God's creating, like one of the scandals of the New Testament is that God's creating a new corporate family. So big family, not nuclear family, but like a global church, right? Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. That the, and that they play out at that level. Then we have people, yeah, we have some people that follow it. They, like, it's one of my favorite emails. There's these girls that I don't know what college they were at, but there's some sorority and they basically just eat up all of our family team stuff and just put it, inject it into like a sorority, like sisterhood vibe. I'm yeah. like, that's incredible. Yeah. I love that. And two or three, what I would say too is like, you know, when we say family teams, there is these nucleuses, of course, of like, you know, male and female and the children and stuff like that. But what we really mean by that is we do mean the last name or the legacy. So we, so meaning like if you're single or married, you're part of a family yeah. and that's what we're kind of like, you know, like in what I talked about earlier with like the grandparents, like in stories and lineage and passing down this multi-generational vision like it doesn't matter if you're married or not you're in i think there, there's a design for the really big kind of multi-generational vision for family that every single person can enter into right. um that i think that is very different from uh the western view of family and that's partly we kind of reveal ourselves in thinking that we only believe it's the nuclear family when god is so much larger than that in like these lines these visions these, uh, you know, not chronologies, what's the word I'm looking for in the scripture, genealogies, Genealogies, um, you know, all these different things. And I think that's, that's really important. Uh, talk for just a second to the single men and women that are listening about the importance of having families in your life, wherever you are and what that means for you. Yeah, I think, you know, this is not a perfect analogy because this can be flipped. The family can be one and the, but I think in general, when you read, and I've, I've talked to you about this, when yeah. you open the New Testament, there is this symbiotic relationship between single people and uh, households is what the, the the New Testament, the phrase the New Testament uses. Now, what is it? Luke 10, where Jesus tells the disciples to first go out two by two. So he never sends a single person out on a single mission at some level. Now, of course, you can have a single mission, but like, you know, but being in community, being next and being into a, a sisterhood or a brotherhood with someone else, he sends them out two by two. Then he tells them, to go find the house of peace. And I think like, if you go to the East, they know exactly what that is. They talk about that a lot. They do that. But in our Western culture, again, we don't really know what a house of peace is, but a house of peace is this, almost like this, this beacon, this headquarters in a city that is rooted. That's not as transient as mm-hmm. sometimes single people on their mission can be. Yeah. Um, they stay They're Usually, especially then they've been there for generations. Yeah. They haven't, they have an immense amount of, uh, kind of power, sometimes wealth, sometimes um, stability, basically like they have, they have, they should have, or usually in this context, what Jesus was talking about, they have a decent gathering of resources. Mm-hmm. They have food, resources, and all that. And so Jesus sends them to them and says, find that person for a couple of different reasons. One, you'll be able to do a more dynamic and fruitful ministry if you're kind of 
if you're kind of anchoring to a, a household of peace every city. And so I just think like, man, that symbiotic relationship of almost kind of like, I almost think of family sometimes as like the locker room or like, what could you think of it as? Almost like a, a place of refreshment and renewal. Here's something I don't think we talk about. It seems fairly clear from Jesus and then Paul that the value system of singled and married is actually inverted from what we say in the West. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, you know I mean, like I think because, you know, and I mean, we talked about this and I hate this, but in the in the West and in churches, we almost kind of like, you know, pseudoly infer that being married is more Christian, mm-hmm. that being married is more the fulfilling to spiritual life, yeah, whatever. You've got, yeah, you you can now move forward because that yes. box has been yes. ticked. But man, I think it's pretty clear. I think there's actually an argument and that the New Testament is actually saying that the opposite, that it did a little bit more important work, a little bit more important person is actually the single person and the married people are kind of coming up behind as just acts of stability, support, um, you know, resources and all that type of thing. Mm. And so I think, um, and I think it's clear, like for like, it doesn't, you know, what Paul talks about in first Corinthians seven with single people sounds so dynamic and amazing. But then when he starts getting into marriage, he has things to say, but it's kind of just like, and yeah, well, if you're married, that's, that's good for you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, we got like, that's, that's what it says. And so, yeah, so I just think there's this, I almost think of it like the double helix of the DNA where there's this symbiotic relationship where we need each other and we need people to not try to get to the next season or go like married people sometimes are like, oh, I'm so locked in. This is brutal. I want to be single. Sometimes single people are like, oh, the Christ- the church is telling me I'm not good enough unless I'm married. Like, no, be who you are in your season. And we both need each other. Like it, we, yeah. like marriages can sometimes be places of like anchoring, welcoming the table, empty bedrooms, resources, stability, single people can be more dynamic. They can be more transient. They can be more, they can take a lot more risk. And Paul clearly showed that. And again, like I said in the beginning, those sometimes that can be flipped. Sometimes that's reversed. But I think it's pattern-esque enough to show that, man, we need to kind of live in that and know what that means a little bit more. Yeah. The other thing I experience as a single person is that I am learning about family very actively, but I have to choose to put myself in that situation a lot. Like parents don't, my friends think of me, but like, even with Halloween, I'm like, Hey, can I come with y'all? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've come with us last four years. Of course. You know? Yeah. But But, uh, yes, I agree with that. And even knowing a family, being a family myself, you're so right. It's like, we can get so overwhelmed by the immediate and the urgentness of like two-year-olds. Right. Like, yeah, you kind of have to like enter in. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think there are times where the family, I think single people need to know that they've been invited by the family, but I think the family needs to know that single people want to be there. Yes. You know, yes. like, cause I can That's hear good. this narrative on it. So we'll talk about Halloween. I can hear his narrative on Halloween of like, we yeah, have it, but single people probably want to go to parties and they probably want to like do some of their friends. I'm like, well, not at four 30 when y'all go trick or treating. I can yeah, actually exactly. do both. Like you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get the, the benefit of this is I can do both. I can go with y'all yeah. and see my mini BFFs and see the kids and have time together. And then also totally. do whatever the single person thing is, whatever that is, which for exactly. me is that's like, almost like a, not. You're, you're almost like pre, you're almost like pre-gaming. With you're the pre-gaming family. with the kids. That's exactly right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Christian pre-gaming, but you're pre-gaming with the kids. That's right. <laughs> and you just want, I mean, the thing that y'all, I like you saying that I think that I want people to hear is that there is a responsibility on the family to invite the non-parents, the singles, the oh, young married couple, but there's a responsibility on the young married couple, the single, the non-children people to ask as well. Like there's yes. one party is not the full pursuer. Yes, exactly. And you know, I'm thinking even out loud now thinking while you're talking, you know, we've only been married seven years and I think we've had five or six people live with us. It's almost yeah. like one a year. Yeah. Um, and they've all been kind of single people, um, different seasons, different reasons, different walks of life, different jobs. But you know, what's interesting too. And one of them strictly came out for family help. But outside of that, it was actually like, cause this is something I get bothered too, of like single people are also not just like the babysitter. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. They have a full and flourishing existence and God has put them on a mission with a particular calling, just like you might have as a family and your job, if they are integrating into that orbit is to support them and resource them in any way you can. Yes. Um, not for them good. to resource you, not for them to help you. And I think that's actually the biblical mandate. And so yeah, four out of the five or five out of the six people we've done that with, that's what it is. Like we're, they, they have their own lives. They got their own jobs. We're just trying to give them a safe spot to land, maybe some resources, maybe some help, maybe some meals, maybe some relationship. Yeah. 
have them at our table. Like you can go on and on, but there's something about that where it's just the dynamic that is how it should be. Yeah. And I just think there, and I saw a shift, maybe y'all are too, but I saw a shift in my twenties into my thirties of, I stopped babysitting. I stopped being a nanny. Like in my twenties, that made more sense because I didn't have a full-time job. And and the parents were five or six years older than me. But yeah, n- yeah, that's the season where you can almost leverage that as yes, the thing you can as get the connecting point. From. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. that's right. But then once you kind of get into your 30s or whatever age you decide on, you know, you kind of yes. go, "Oh, I'm now a peer to these parents. I don't need totally. to be the babysitter." There's a college girl who needs money, not me. Yes, yeah, it's just peer. It's literally just peer level relationships with different callings and dynamics that yeah. you got to flesh out. And but when they work together, it's really fun. Oh man, it's I that that is one thing and you know this about me. I am so satisfied with my life. I mean, of yes. course I want to get married and have kids. That's no secret totally. to anybody listening. But my gosh, my life is so full because of families. Yeah. And it is yeah. such a huge gift. When ki- I got a there's two families here Jeff that call me Annie Downs cuz there's two Annies in our friend group. And so they just call <laughs> me Annie Downs like Mary Catherine like my double name. Yes. And yes. literally I got a video yesterday where the two kids just said Annie Downs, I love you. Annie Downs, I love you. And, <laughs> and that was just, it. Does that just make your life? Oh, I've just watched it 18 times, you know? Yes. <laughs> and it just it just does not take much for singles to put themselves in situations where they can experience family and families to invite singles in so they can experience family as well. Yes. And I think just being like rooted and content in your season and letting God like claim that and name that. Like I am X right now and I love that. I'm in that. I'm for that. What does that mean for me? Because that's even true married too. Like even what you just said of like, you know, I love being single. I'm so content. And of course, maybe I want to be married, you know, and married, married people, I think sometimes do with the opposite, right? Like be content in your marriage, but sometimes you get into, you know, you get into married parts of marriage. You're like, I want to be single again. Right. You know, like, right. But it's like, but that's, but you, but being content in general, 98% of that time and not letting those 2% kind of weird thoughts or something or uncontentment, discontentment kind of pop up, I think is really helpful to make sure you're staying in that contentment lane. Yes. And it just it is um, something that you probably heard in youth group times as well that I heard is when you're content is when God will give you what you want. Oh, yo, that's so that's that's almost heretical. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's the stupidest. Yes. It is yes. not. That is not true. That's not how this works. It's not when you stop being hungry that you get fed. That is not how this works. Yes. And it's bothersome, too. Oh, it's just it's horrible. I hate that people yeah. ever said that to me. Yes, if anyone's um, listening and they've heard that before, just don't listen. It's heretical. Yeah, it is not <laughs> yeah. gospel that you need to totally. stop wanting well, something that, to get it. That, that just sets you up. Like, how many people have actually walked away from the Lord because of that exact thing? Right. Because it didn't happen. Right. It didn't happen. And right. they're disappointed. They're disenchanted. It's like, no, no, no. The promise is that you get the Lord. The promise is not mm. you get what you want from the Lord when you think it's the season that you've proved it. Yes. That's what's really subtly underneath that. That's really, really dangerous. And um, harmful. It's like, no, no, you get the Lord and learning that when you get the Lord, that's enough in the seasons that are still tough, where you still have desires, where you still can name those desires too, by the way, because then the opposite of that is don't ever talk about it. Don't ever tell the Lord what you feel. Don't ever be, you know, yes. fake it. It's like, no, yes. no, like yell out to God with what you want mm-hmm. and say, but your will be done. Yes. But your will right. be done. Like that's it's right. Jesus literally gives us the model in his prayer of like, this is, this sucks. I'm sweating so much to the point of stress. I'm bleeding, yeah, right? Yeah. This is terrible, yeah. but your will be done. Yeah. And I, I, yes, amen. That's it. You're right. I have nothing to add. You are exactly right. <laughs> amen to that. So that is where we will end. Jeff, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? No, no. You're the best. You're the best interviewer. You here. kill at this. It's just this easy fun. when it's friends. That's one. Of, that's why that's one of the rules is that I can't have strangers on because I don't know how to do that. But I, <laughs> I love talking to you whether we're recording or not. So the last question we always ask, Jeff, you know this. You've done this plenty of times. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what you're doing for fun right now. What am I doing for fun right now? Well, talking to you, well, thank what, you am I doing, what am I doing after this? Right when I hang up from you, I'm in Chicago right now. And I'm going to go walk to Intelligentsia Coffee, oh, you've which is it. like some of the best coffee in the nation. So that's what I do for fun. What I do for fun is I just, I, I, I like things to their ultimate excellent level. So I got to have the best coffee, the best ice cream, the best this. That's probably what I'm doing for fun. What else am I doing for fun? Where's the um, best coffee season. you've ever had? That's a really good question because I've tried to almost nail that down in seven years. So <laughs> seriously, like when I travel, it's like, okay, best, most hipster third wave coffee shop there. I have to try it. I've done that for like seven years now. I would say um, Intelligentsia is up there. There's, um, I mean, some of the national ones are great, but I, yeah, I put Crema up there. Steadfast is up there. 
I'd probably say though, if I had to pick one, yeah. if you had to twist my arm, I'd probably say, um, um, of course I'm blanking on the name right when I'm trying to answer it. I think it's Portolo uh, in California. And it's cool because they they kind of take on this like uh, evil scientist vibe. So all the baristas wear the white lab coats. Oh, I uh, love it. And they just do weird, crazy stuff. And so, yeah, I'd say that one for sure. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, good. You know, I'm not a coffee person. Ugh, I drink tea because I know. I, can't I, know. The I don't even know. How do you even live in Nashville? I, I know. I, I, I want to drink coffee. It's really in my heart. <laughs> I want to be as cool as y'all. Ugh. So here's the thing, though. Have you actually tried? Because like my mom's like that actually too. My mom hates coffee. But just last week, I actually we were in New York and I took her to what was it, La Colombe? That's like another really nice uh-huh. one. And she tried. She tried some of that coffee, pure black, all by itself. And she was like, she didn't love it, love it, but she was like, oh, this is way different than what I thought coffee was. It's more like fruity, blueberry like. Have you tried that style See, of coffee? I actually really love coffee. It, I my I can't handle the caffeine. It makes me an insane person. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's, that's fair. the problem. So maybe <laughs> I should start don't... doing decaf. Can you do fancy yes. coffee decaf? Yeah, or they like get totally. pissed. No, you totally can. You totally okay. can. Note to self, by the way, I just learned. So I'm a big fan of like I love the third wave coffees, but I also don't knock on Starbucks because there would be no third wave coffees if there wasn't Starbucks. That's a sp- that's a sermon illustration in there somewhere. Yep. But um, <laughs> you know that they're, they're just standing on their shoulders and they need to give them a place of honor. But the nitro cold brew at Starbucks yep. right now is so. Good. But but the, I just found out the caffeine is like they can't actually serve you a vente because it's like illegal. It's so much. <laughs> it's like intense. <laughs> See that I'm would like, okay. literally my heart would explode. It would yes, not. no, I mean, it, I feel it. I start, I start shaking and I'm like, oh my goodness, yeah. this is, is this okay? <laughs> Last summer, I started adding a shot of espresso to my chai and I oh. started having panic attacks. And yes. Eliza, my assistant, that, like, was like, chai? yeah, yeah. My assistant, Eliza, was like, I don't understand what's different. I was like, I don't know either, but everything's terrible and da 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 da. Yes, and she yes. was like, wait, aren't you adding caffeine? And what was happening is my heart would start racing, which would make my mind race. Yes. So it really, it really does, man. Yeah. Too bad. much of it. And it's like, yeah. it's crazy. Well, thank you for making time for this this morning, buddy. I'm so, so grateful. Hey, you're the best. Thanks so much. You're the best. Oh, friends, don't you love him? I just love every time Jeff comes back to the show. What a gift he is. He's so thoughtful and smart. And I love how intentional he is with how he's shaping time with his family. And that teaches me a lot. So make sure you grab a copy of his new book, To Hell with the Hustle. I think you're really going to love it. And give him a follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and go download all his podcasts. Like he told you, he's got a couple of different ones running right now, and I find them all to be really, really helpful. The show that he and John Mark Comer have done together is one of my brand new favorites. And so I definitely think you should listen to that one, especially as you're reading his book, To Hell with the Hustle, and John Mark's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And tell Jeff, thanks for being on the show when you get a chance. I just love every time he comes around here. I feel so lucky. If you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in fire engine red, because that's the color of Bethke's new book. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you can need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you, and I'll do the same. We'll see you back here on Monday for a special Veterans Day episode with Kristen Strong. I think you're going to love it. See you guys then. Have a great weekend.